0: Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simran.
1: I know something about suffering as twice I've been diagnosed as clinically depressed. I've also experienced personal tragedy in the death of loved ones. I've suffered through devastating betrayals, disappointments, i felt on more than one occasion that i had lost any chance of happiness I might have ever had. I've been up close and personal with suffering, not only in my own life, but also in the lives of many others in the course of my career. Nothing gives you greater X-ray vision into the suffering of others like having suffered yourself. I know the face of depression, and I know it well. As someone who has always viewed things through a mystical lens, even before I really understood what that meant, I've always seen events in my life in the context of a spiritual journey. i viewed painful times in my life as a part of a mysterious unfolding, as dark nights of my soul for which, no matter how devastating, I needed to be fully present. However deep my suffering, I didn't want to be anesthetized as I went through it. Like an expectant mother who wants to give birth naturally, rejecting drugs during labor because she wanted to experience natural childbirth, I wanted to be fully available to the depths of my pain. I could have written these words myself, but they are from the illustrious and beautiful Marianne Williamson. In her new book, Renowned Spiritual Teacher and Best-Selling Author, Marianne Williamson offers an impassioned spiritual perspective on the epidemic of depression now sweeping our society. Marianne claims there is a spectrum of normal human suffering, deep sadness over such things as divorce, job loss, financial ruin, and the death of loved ones that can be powerfully transformed through spiritual understanding. Based on a career of over three decades counseling people in depressing, even life-challenging situations, her new book, Tears to Triumph, The Spiritual Journey from Suffering to Enlightenment, challenges the broad appropriation of deep sadness as a medical issue. Rather, she articulates the relevance of great spiritual themes such as faith, forgiveness, and at one in healing a damaged psyche. Combining her customary references to A Course in Miracles with an in-depth inquiry into the spiritual responses to suffering within the stories of Buddha, Moses, and Jesus, Marianne opens up a much-needed conversation about the fundamental sources of human suffering as well as its healing and transcendence. I'd like to welcome Marianne Williamson back to 1111 Talk Radio to discuss this beautiful and profound book, Tears to Triumph. Welcome, Marianne. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. This really is a deeply rich book, and it, it w- is one that definitely touched me deeply, and it's one that I know that people across this planet all need to read at this time because we each face our own degrees and levels of deep sadness. And what's showing up in the outside world oftentimes is helping us tap into that. And so now is the moment not to numb it, not to medicate it, but to actually feel it. Talk a little bit about why you felt it so necessary to approach this topic at this time.
2: Well, one of the things that I have seen as a counselor, um, someone who has worked so much with uh, people in traumatic, really even catastrophic personal situations over the last few years, I've seen in, over the last really three decades, what I've seen in the last few years is such a, 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 a large a swath of people running to pharmaceutical antidepressants for situations that actually you would not consider catastrophic. Um, things like divorce, um, uh, losing a job, um, even personal uh, bankruptcy or financial loss, these things are very, very difficult, but they're not mental illnesses. And so the idea of the use of uh, psychotherapeutic drugs for serious mental illnesses is obviously legitimate. I I believe so. The idea, as you quoted there, of the appropriation of a category of normal human despair as a medical issue has serious consequences, not only for the individual, but for the society as well. Because I think that if you don't, Learn If you don't develop the emotional musculature to navigate the really turbulent waters of life, you never really learn to navigate life, period, because that's part of it. You know, storms come in life just like they do in nature. And I think that it infantilizes us. If we become people who, when the hard days come, when the hard times come, have not developed the kind of ability that we need to not only endure those times, but to transform them. And no matter what you say, antidepressant use, it, it, it depresses our ability to uh, to feel the worst aspects of, of pain in certain cases, but it also suppresses our ability to respond. In certain ways that we might otherwise. So I thought, given the fact that I have experienced so much myself and have seen the mysterious way that the psyche and the spirit do know how to handle human suffering, you know, we would not have thrived as a species were we not endowed with an immune system, an ability to take a hit. And the physical body, as we know, can really absorb and integrate quite a large amount of injury and disease through the immune system. Without the immune system, you die. Well, the psyche has an immune system as well. The human race would not have survived had we not also been able to take an amazing amount of uh, psychological and emotional assault as well. I mean, look at what people on this planet go through. So I think that understanding the, psyche, the psychic immune system is really a spiritual issue. How does the heart take in pain? How does the heart transform pain? Well, you don't have any greater examples of this than in the great spiritual teachings of the world. Jesus suffered on the cross. That is core core to the Christian to the Christian story is not only his suffering on the cross and what that suffering represented, the forces of the world that w- that would cause of cruelty. He suffered on the cross, but then he resurrected. Uh, God sent Moses to save the Israelites when they were suffering at the hands of the Pharaoh. And then they made their passage uh, through the desert to the promised land. And Buddha, the story of Buddha, for instance, he had to grapple for those 40 days and nights. He had to suffer through um, his battle with the demon of illusion before his enlightenment. So in all the templates of all the great religious stories, there is the acknowledgement of human suffering, a deep spiritual teaching as to the cause of that human suffering, but also the core uh, recognition that through our connection with God, we are led beyond the suffering to the infinite peace that lay beyond. So, I, I have experienced in my own life there is no greater uh, tool, there is no greater medicine for for not only help in enduring. The suffering that sometimes happens in life, but also in transforming it and reaching to the place beyond. And I thought that there was not enough people seem to like be into that conversation these days. And so (laughs) I wanted to write out, uh, write out what that's about, and where love and forgiveness and faith can take you even in those darkest times. They're not. They're not the little powers. They're the huge powers. The hugest of all.
1: Well, what I love about this, aside from the extremely rich content of the book and it being such a guiding force, is the vulnerability and the authenticity that you allow in letting your own story and your own experiences be a guiding light for so many. Because oftentimes, we don't really see spiritual teachers that are willing to say, I've been through this. But it's the only way that we have the wisdom to actually move through it. And I, too, knew as I hit a a traumatic experience three years ago, that the only way through it was to completely sit in it. People are told to get up, to get on with life, to move forward. I was told that countless, countless times myself, and I knew that the only thing that I had to do in that moment, because it had shown up, was to sit there and feel it until it didn't want to be felt anymore. Talk a little bit about that conditioning that we have as a society that we have to move forward. And I want to also reference your statement. I'd like you to move in from that conversation, which is spiritual healing is work in the sense that isn't passive, but active.
2: Well, what you just said is, is very significant. Deep sadness is not a disease. And that's what I mean by the appropriation of deep sadness by the medical community. People say, you got to get up, you gotta, you got to move on, as though something is wrong with you. You know, as a friend of mine said not long ago, she said, when did we start making sadness bad? You know, mm. when I was growing up, grief was more a part of the public conversation. If someone had lost a husband or a wife or a child, it was understood. Uh, people used to wear black Uh, For a year, this was before everybody wore black all the time. It was understood that when you've gone through something very, very difficult, it's going to take time to move over. It's a season of life. That's why I quote the Rilke poem at the beginning of the book, let me not squander the hour of my my pain. Do not squander that time. Sometimes it's in the dark nights of the soul, St. John called it, that we have our deepest level of understanding. And if I just, what am I supposed to do? Get up, go to a movie, why? What am I supposed to do? Get up and, well, I could say run around the block. Running around the block would be very good, actually, physical exercise. And sometimes, of course, somebody says you want to go to a movie. But there are times in life where you're sitting there and crying is the need of the moment. And tears, by the way, are part of the working of the psychic immune system in conjunction with the physical immune system. So it's so interesting because in so many areas of life, we have this trust of the body and we talk about what a genius the body is well why doesn't that apply to the soul why doesn't that apply to the brain and 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 i i feel this rush that people have to get up move over get over that stop thinking about that that's a, that's a big one right now stop thinking about that as though like you're going to stop thinking about the purple elephant once somebody names it i think rather It is in those periods when we are thinking deeply about our suffering that we come to some of our deepest insights, number one, about the source of that suffering. Now, sometimes something happens in life, the death of a loved one or something, and there's just no way you can see yourself as having had anything to do with it, although even then, you get some of your deepest insights about your own, let's say, like my sister died, for instance, and... I had a lot of insight about why hadn't I moved to Houston uh, to to be there in her final stages of her death. Um, when my mother died, uh, a similar kind of why hadn't I moved to Houston sooner. Um, uh, I think that sometimes the finality of death is what awakens us you know i have it, having lost my uh, best friend having lost a uh, sister having lost my parents i have in my life as i think anybody who has suffered such losses has a much deeper recognition a visceral understanding that this ride is not forever and suck the juice out of every day and everybody you know you will not you will know them forever but you will not know them in this physical incarnation forever and it's it's made me much more willing to live life fully because I have a visceral understanding that it will not last. Now, as as uh, someone who has experienced the heartbreak of the personal, the romantic breakups and the financial uh, failures and the professional ups and downs, I also know that those periods of deep sadness after loss and during that heartbreak are moments when you come to understand, despite your resistance, the part you might have played In the disaster, if I don't, if I don't learn that, then that means next time out, in the next relationship, in the next financial uh, chapter, in the next professional era, I'm gonna make the same mistakes again if I did not allow them to come into my conscious awareness during the time I was sad over the crashing and burning that happened because of making the mistakes before. These are the times sometimes of the richest, deepest insight. Are they painful? Yes. But that's important pain. You know, only a sociopath has no conscience. We don't wanna be people who don't feel the pain sometimes. Sometimes the pain is, oh my God, I messed up. And that's when you atone for your mistakes and learn from your mistakes sometimes you realize if oh my god somebody else did this or that to me but if i do not forgive them this bitterness will poison my life forever so some of that work it's work like and that's where what the line you were just talking about passive you might be physically passive during that time but you're you're as martin luther king would say we are physically passive but spiritually active and sometimes when people say oh, i don't feel bad it's it, this is exactly the appropriate time to feel bad. And the fact that so many people are running around today, numbing their pain, is not a healthy sign for them individually, and it's not a healthy sign for them, uh, for all of us collectively. You, you mentioned earlier on the call that a lot of the stuff coming up in our society today, the bitterness and the toxicity of our political environment, this is all important. It's terrible. But it's important, this is time for thinking people to really think, what has taken us to this point? And if we are not sitting in the disturbance, you know, these are very disturbing times. So this political election season is very disturbing. You know what, you know why we're disturbed? Because it is disturbing. And we, none of us should be running away from that disturbance. We, we need to all be thinking very, very deeply about what has happened in our country that it has come to this. Because only if we move into the depths of our understanding will we find the power of real transformative action and the wisdom to know what that action would be and the ability to carry it out.
1: Powerful. You write in your book, from a spiritual perspective, humanity has a heart disease. To heal a broken leg, we don't just take a painkiller. We have to reset the bones. And to heal our broken hearts, we can't just take a painkiller either. We have to reset our thinking. You go on to say, these men and women need spiritual medicine. Talk about what the spiritual medicine is. <clears throat> spiritual medicine, as I was saying before
2: about Buddha and about Moses and about Jesus, and I use those three examples in, in the book, but this, this remains true of all the great religious and spiritual systems. There is a story at the heart of all the great religious and spiritual systems the three i take are the story of buddha the story of moses the story of jesus the story is <clears throat> is like a psychic imprint and when you when you take in to your mind and your heart that psychic imprint the story informs your ability to endure and it informs your capacity to transform for instance as I mentioned before. When Buddha saw suffering for the first time, that began his, his his journey to enlightenment. The the Israelites suffered as as slaves in Egypt. Jesus suffered on the cross. So right there is a medicine in that there is a deep acknowledgement of that the human condition is filled with suffering whether it is the symbol of the crucifixion or the symbol of the a uh, pharaoh as the slave driver of the children of god or whether it is the symbol of the the um the demonic forces which battled with buddha it is a recognition that we are given that yep this is humanity people make mistakes and people do cruel things, and on this planet, we the physical body dies, and that causes suffering. So right there, you settle into this realization that, I'm not ill, I'm human, and I am experiencing the deep, deep shadow, the deep, deep darkness of the human condition. And you you settle into that realization. And then your faith, however, is the realization that Buddha didn't just see suffering, and that's the end of the story. Buddha's recognition of suffering, his battling with the demons, leads him to enlightenment under the Bodhi tree of infinite peace through infinite compassion. Moses leads the Israelites. So the point is, yes, the pharaoh enslaves them, but God sends Moses. So with Buddha you have the love that the infinite compassion that will lead me beyond my suffering. With the story of Moses you have the recognition that God does not leave his people in slavery to that internal or external factor, but rather God sends the figure of Moses in whatever form to lead us beyond, and also in the story of the Old Testament, that God makes it clear through Moses that he has some expectations of the way we are to live in order to live happier lives and to enter the promised land. And in the story of Jesus, it is that Jesus does weep, but the resurrection... Is, 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 is achieved through the power of God, which is within Him, and for those who embrace it, the sense that He is within us. This, there is no, this is a psychic force. These are not just metaphors. These are not just symbols. These are psychic forces. And we tend to look at material, because we acknowledge material forces as real in our society, but as spiritual forces as mere metaphor or symbol or fantasy, it keeps us from taking the medicine. So if a doctor says to you, take this pill, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, this might help. Because we have lost, in too many cases, the sense that spiritual power is medicine. Spiritual force is medicine.
1: When you atone for your mistakes, I'm sorry. My guest today is Mary Ann Williamson, and we are discussing her book, Tears to Triumph, The Spiritual Journey from Suffering to Enlightenment. The search for holiness isn't pink and gauzy. It's tough and gritty. We don't pretend not to be angry when we're angry. We surrender our anger into the hands of God and tell Him we're willing not to be. We don't deny our tears when we've been abandoned or betrayed. We pray for the happiness of the person who hurt us as an act of generosity towards ourselves. We don't pretend that we're not afraid or lonely. We place our fear and loneliness in God's hands. All of this is a process and none of it easy. Many tears have lined the paths of saints. This is from the book Tears to Triumph by Marianne Williamson, who is an internationally acclaimed author, speaker, and activist. Six of her 10 published books have been New York Times bestsellers. Her books include A Return to Love, A Year of Miracles, The Law of Divine Compensation, The Gift of Change, The Age of Miracles, Everyday Grace, A Woman's Worth, Illuminata, and of Course in Weight Loss. She has been a popular guest on many television programs, and the current book, again, is Tears to Triumph. You can find out more about her at Marianne.com. And while you're there, you can look up her new Miraculous Relationships course beginning November 1st, in addition to her live and weekly Course in Miracles in New York City. Again, it's Marianne.com. We'll be right back with Tears to Triumph.
0: 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly online publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. Engage with experts and topics of consciousness. Become enlightened, empowered, and energized. So you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com, 1111mag.com. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award winning author, publisher of 11 11 magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 11 11 Talk Radio.
1: You can also see an article by Marianne Williamson in the current issue of 1111 Magazine, which is available for free online. Just go to 1111mag.com, and you can see that article along with many others that are beautifully written and shared by people on the planet that are here to uplift and inspire you. In the book, Tears to Triumph, The Spiritual Journey from Suffering to Enlightenment, Marianne shares a story about a chimpanzee troop, where a population, part of the population displayed depressed behavior. They didn't eat or rest with the rest of the chimps or play with them. A group of anthropologists wondered the effect of the absence of these depressed chimps, what that would have on the rest of the troop, and they removed them for six months. When they returned, they found that all of the other chimps who had remained in the troop had died. Why? According to one analysis, the chimps perished because the so-called depressed chimps among them had been the early warning system. The depressed chimps had been depressed for a reason. They registered that a storm was coming, or snakes, or elephants, or disease. The presence of the depressed chimps had been an evolutionary aid to the survival of the entire population. In their absence, the other chimps did not notice the dangers that lurked. This is From Tears to Triumph. Best-selling author, speaker, and activist Marianne Williamson helps us to rediscover religious principles for dealing with and transcending our suffering. Many people today experience the emotional pain of depression, relational trauma and grief, without the knowledge of how to deal with them and find healing. As a culture and as individuals, we have neglected the spiritual work of facing and moving through our pain to find true healing. Instead, we numb our pain, medicate it, or deny it. Marianne explains, in avoiding our pain, we avoid our growth. She offers an opportunity to transform pain through spiritual healing by turning to the wisdom of ancient spiritual teachers. Welcome back, Marianne. One of my favorite sections in the book was where you talked a lot about forgiveness, and that is such a a, a base understanding when it comes to the Course in Miracles in terms of what we have to do. But the part that was most relevant was when you talked about forgiveness, you said that most of us use it as an act, but that's really the ego in forgiveness, that true forgiveness is something entirely different. Will you talk a little more about that?
2: Well, the traditional notion of forgiveness is basically judgmental because it's the thought that you are a jerk, but I'm so spiritual that I will forgive you. But in A Course in Miracles, it talks about forgiveness in a very different way. It means the realization that love is the mind of God, and the mind of God is all there is. Everything else is illusion. It's a human manifestation, but anything that is not of God does not actually exist in an eternal sense. So love is real, and everything else is a man-made construct, or the absence of love or fear, and God does not dwell in the spirit of fear. So forgiveness is an extension of our knowing, an extension of our perception, beyond the manifestation of someone's guilt, to the realization of the innocence in which they were created by God. So forgiveness is the realization that love is real and nothing else exists. Now what that means then is the Course in Miracles says, God did not create you to be at the effect of, of lovelessness in yourself or in anyone else. Now look at the case of Jesus through the resurrection the crucifixion is nullified. The effects of the crucifixion is nullified. This is the power of God. He nullifies the effects of fear because he is not the spirit of fear. And the whole message of religious teaching is that God gets the final say. So when you align your mind with God, you, which is the task of being human, we realize that even though this happened to me, even though you did this, if I focus on your guilt because that is my belief, then in my human experience, I will be at the effect of what you did to me. But if I am willing, if I am willing, and I will need God's help to do this, but if I am willing to realize that that which is not of love does not ultimately affect me, and I'm willing to, be, to see your innocence, even though focus on your guilt feels natural to me at this moment, then in time, symbolized by the three days that Jesus between the crucifixion and the resurrection, symbolized by the 40 years that the Israelites went in the desert, symbolized by the 40 days Buddha struggled with and battled with the, with the God of illusion, then in time, the effects of what you did to me will be nullified. You know, one of the things that the, the Course reminds us is that the prison warden can't leave the prison any more than the prisoner can. So what you see, hmm. for instance, is someone who got a divorce 20 years ago, but the bitterness, because they've never forgiven, the bitterness that they feel is holding their life back now in ways that you can't really say is because of the divorce 20 years ago so much as it is the fact that they have not forgiven themselves and the other person for what happened 20 years ago. And that's why forgiveness is absolutely essential to the transformation of these painful times of life into the peace that can and will lie beyond them if we will atone for our errors and seek to forgive other people for theirs.
1: You write also that the future is programmed in the present and that entering that holy instant is really allowing ourselves to focus on the spiritual innocence of someone's being. With that said, when we're really focusing on that person's innocence, we also have to deal with the time that it's going to take for that to shift, or does the holy instant really happen in that miraculous moment? Well, that's an interesting question.
2: You, you know, when I was a little girl, we had uh, adder pearl necklaces. Did you ever have an adder pearl necklace? <laughs> sure, I guess <laughs> the not. Terms, okay. yes. so the charms. Okay, so you were, a you term. had a chain. You had a chain, and then your parents or whomever. We'd give you a pearl, let's say, a, you know, at Christmas or Hanukkah or your birthday or you graduated, whatever. And the idea was that ultimately you would have an entire necklace. And that's how holy instants are. You have a moment of peace. You might not yet have an hour of peace, but you have a moment of peace and then in time you have five minutes of peace. And then the day comes when you realize, I had a, a the, this entire hour I was peaceful, and in time, your life is not only peaceful again, but you will have learned things that you did not know before. So the holy instant is something we practice. But this isn't about the eureka. You know, some people feel, well, I prayed and, and I'm not thrilled yet, so what, did God not do His work? It's, it's not like that. It's, it's moment by moment by moment, isn't it? And so... The holy instant not bringing the past into the present is extremely important because the miracle doesn't happen in the past, and the miracle doesn't happen in the future. The miracle happens in the present. It happens when we enter into the present and go, well, that that person might have done this or that five minutes ago or five months ago. I might have done this or that five minutes ago or five months ago, but in this moment... I can choose to perceive their innocence and mine. And that allows for a miraculous interruption from otherwise the ego mind, the fear-based mind, will use the present just to make it a continuation from the past into the future. And then that part of our mind says, see, nothing ever changes. Well, nothing can change unless we allow God. You know, we have to allow God to be at work in our lives. We have to be willing to allow the Holy Spirit of God to make these alchemical changes in us. And that does happen one holy instant at a time. Dear God, I surrender to you my thinking about this person. Dear God, I surrender to you my my thinking about this situation. I surrender to you the mistakes that I made, and I atone for my mistakes, and I pray for forgiveness. These things allow the Spirit to do for us what ultimately cannot be done because it would be a violation of our free will. But when we ask God to change our thinking, Because thinking is what then determines our experience of a situation that literally changes everything.
1: Now, you have another passage on forgiveness in this chapter. Forgiveness is ultimately not just an act, but an attitude. Not a relationship tool, but a state of mind. And it is not just an attitude toward people, but life itself. When we map that on to the previous discussion around politics, for example, how can we as an individual support the collective change of something like politics through the use of forgiveness as an attitude and as a state of mind? Well, Obviously, it's a particularly relevant
2: topic today. The fact that I forgive you doesn't mean I necessarily agree with you. The fact that I forgive you doesn't mean that we can't passionately debate. The fact that I forgive you doesn't mean I'm not going to work very hard to make sure the other person wins the election. This is a particularly important issue because too many in the so-called spiritual, higher consciousness realm avoid politics because they think it's always negative. No, it's too often negative because of people who are not bringing this consciousness into it. Forgiveness means that I will recognize your, your, your humanity. And, I, and what's happening today in our political system is so horrible for that reason. You don't have to personally demonize a a person just because you disagree with them politically we're seeing that right now i mean there are articles talking right now about will the will the next president even be deemed legitimate this is terrible this is dangerous for our democracy the delegitimization of 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 the idea of an election simply because someone really has a personal animus towards the person who won well guess what once a person is elected once a person becomes president, I mean, this is, this is, you know, there have been uh, presidents who I voted for. There have been presidents who I didn't vote for. But I understand as a citizen that once that person is elected, once that person is inaugurated, That the the change in consciousness among the citizenry to the acceptance that this person is president, and on a certain level to wish them well. I remember, I remember when Clinton was elected in 1992, and I remember saying to a man, for for whatever reason, I remember this. It was on an airplane, and I said, "Well, did you vote for him?" And he said, "No, I didn't vote for him, but I wish him well." That's American. That's American Mm -hmm. because when the president succeeds, the country succeeds. To a, to a great extent. So I think that the fact that we have allowed our personal animus, our personal mean-spiritedness to bleed into our political, uh, our, our, our political conversation the way it has is very, very dangerous. Now, on the other hand, I have some people who, you know, I, do, I certainly have my favorite in this election, and I, I have written things about, about Donald Trump because I believe them, that I think his candidacy does represent Something very dangerous actually to this country. There's a demagogic aspect to the way he speaks. And, you know, for any a, a person to say that if the other person wins, it's the end of America and only he can fix it and all that, to me, that's not what we do in America. That's not how we treat our political opponents. Now, some people say, oh, there's Marianne not practicing what she preaches. I don't agree with that at all. This is not a personal demonization. This person, I hope he. He has a, a happy life. That's, this is not about uh, wishing someone ill on a personal level. And so we are a very, very angry nation. And we are angry for reasons that are not just about our politics. We are angry. So many people are suffering anger because of the anxiety, because of the depression, because the, of the sense of knowing that at very, very deep levels, something is off. And yes, some things are often in terms of how our government functions, absolutely. But also things are off in uh, often the way we function as people. We do not make love our bottom line. Government doesn't make love its bottom line. It puts in too many cases because of the undue influence of money. It's putting money above over love. But how many times do we put outer things over love? If we're not making the health and well-being of our children our bottom line, our capacity to forgive each other our bottom line, Human compassion, mercy, love, and forgiveness are bottom line. We will not be happy. And not only will we not be happy, but life will not work. And that's really the religious principle. When I said before that God expects some things. God is not just your errand boy. There are ways we are called on to live. We are to live mercifully. We are to live humbly. We are to live with compassion. We are to atone for our errors and forgive others for theirs. And whether it's in our individual lives or collectively, whether it's our government, whether it's how we behave in business, life is not going to work unless we live in love. That is God's commandment, that we love one another. And until we do, we will be anxious and we will be depressed and life will not work. But then throwing anger at other people and meanness and hate at other people is not the way to cast out love. It's not the way to cast out the pain. Only love can do that.
1: Marianne Williamson is a New York Times bestselling author of A Return to Love. She has released Tears to Triumph, The Spiritual Journey from Suffering to Enlightenment. Marianne says that the wisest question when we are deeply sad is not, how can I end or numb this pain immediately? The wisest question is, what is the meaning of this pain? What does it reveal to me? What is it calling me to understand? She states that a life of spiritual triumph is not one in which we will never fall into a deep, dark valley. It is one in which, if and when we do fall, we've learned how to get ourselves out of it. We need emotional muscles in order to rise up emotionally, just as we need physical muscles in order to rise up physically. And developing those muscles takes work. It is the work of enlightenment, the inner work of the soul. This, again, is from Tears to Triumph. The Spiritual Journey from Suffering to Enlightenment. You can find out more about Marianne Williamson at Marianne.com. While you're there, definitely look up her events, her online course on relationships that is starting November 1st, in addition to her weekly and live uh, course in miracles in New York City. We'll be right back with Marianne Williamson, Marianne.com.
0: 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly online publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. Engage with experts and topics of consciousness. Become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com, 1111mag.com. Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio.
1: Dear God, may I be only a blessing on this person, and may he be only a blessing on me. Heal us in our wounded places and cast out our resistances to love. Lift our relationship to divine right order, above and beyond all walls that divide us. May forgiveness purify our hearts and minds, that we might see only the innocence in ourselves and in each other. May my presence in his life contribute to his happiness and serve him on his path. May our joining be a holy thing. May it serve your purposes for us and all the world, and bring joy to all living things. Amen. There are many prayers throughout the book, Tears to Triumph. In addition to several stories and very, very many beautiful pieces of wisdom, you can definitely find your own pathway of the spiritual journey from suffering to enlightenment as you move through these pages and start to discover the levels of forgiveness, faith, wisdom, and the different areas of right relationship, right speech, right word, right action that are, of course, of this book. The author is Marianne Williamson, and she is an internationally acclaimed author, speaker, and activist. You can find out more about her and everything that she is doing at Marianne.com. Marianne, you talk about faith in the book, and you talk about it being an aspect of consciousness, and you, you even state that our problem is we tend to have more faith in the power of cancer to kill us than we have faith in the power of God to heal us. And you go on to say that there is a divine order to the spiritual universe and chaos of any kind is temporary. So whether we look at politics and the chaos that that looks like, or we look at the chaos that is in our own individual lives, talk about how we can deepen our faith as an aspect of consciousness.
2: Well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned um, what you just said about politics. I have a girlfriend, a very close girlfriend, who is a big Trump supporter, and I'm a Hillary supporter. And we, she was visiting me, she lives in Los Angeles, and she was visiting me here in New York <clears throat> last week, and we watched the debate together. And all jokes aside, we really have, in our friendship, um, taken care, because we do have very polar opposite views on politics. We've taking care in our relationship, to protect the relationship, that there are certain conversations we just don't go into. But spirit, for whatever reason, arranged for us to watch the debate together, etc. And afterwards, we prayed. And you know what? We both got the same thing in different ways. Um, And that is that America is going to be fine, no matter who wins this election, that the American people... Are good and the American people are decent. And I do think that regardless of what you think of either candidate, and I don't, I don't really know anybody who's that in love with either candidate, by the way. We all know that the process itself, something was so wrong here and it's important for us to look at what was wrong, how we got to this. And I, and I've, and it has actually brought me to a point of realizing that this will pass. Whatever this this election represents, this will pass, and we have to have faith in the goodness and the decency of the American people. We can, if we choose, to grow from all this and move beyond this particular toxic and 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 really um, almost risky uh, way that we are we are fooling with the process right now, and 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 improve and course correct. America has made mistakes before and gotten things wrong before, but we can self-correct. And course correct and we have. And that's where she and I both came. That 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 it's just one more area where love will get the final word.
0: Mm. And so
2: the realization that this too shall pass. You know that that God there there you know the course of miracle says God's will has never not been done. That's what you claim in the periods of greatest darkness, love will prevail. Now, what is left up to each of us, and to us collectively, is how long will that take? You know, will there be atonement? Will there be forgiveness? Will there be whatever action Spirit determines that is necessary to bring to bring out the light, to invoke the light, to co-create? with God, the conditions of light that will replace all darkness. But faith is an aspect of consciousness. There's no such thing as a faithless human being. You either have faith that the power of the disaster in your life will determine your future, or you have faith that through God, this situation will miraculously transform and peace will come. So you have faith, you all of us have faith. You either have faith in the power of God or you have faith in the illusions of the world. And the illusions of the world are produced by the spirit of fear, and they will cause you suffering. And that part of the mind has nothing more in mind than creating more suffering. But the universe is intentional. The universe is the hand of God. And God's will is that you be delivered of your suffering. Just as the Israelites were, and just as Jesus was, and just as Buddha realized, so we we are going to get there because God's mind ensures it. God's power ensures it. What is up to us is how long it takes. What, what that three days, that forty years, those forty days. What is up to us within the realm of of, of human experience is how quickly, how fully, how deeply we will allow the power of God to transform events to bring us to peace at last.
1: I'm glad you brought up that scenario about your friend and you and the the difference in opinion politically, because there's been so much about people unfriending people or getting in fights or different things like that. And you write in your book, Tears to Triumph, that our relationships are temples of healing, So when we look at our relationships, whether it's in this scenario or whether it's in a marital relationship or whether it's uh, someone passing, or even if we look at the relationship between Clinton and Trump, these are temples of healing that are in front of us for which we can go inside and be in communion or worship or faith and prayer.
2: And I think you said early on the call, this is showing us some things. This is showing us some things about about how the system now operates, about what's going on at deep levels of the national psyche, um, and and it's one more a- a situation where what we need to achieve in order for change to occur is wisdom. We need some political wisdom here. Political wisdom is neither left nor right. No, you know, Eisenhower said the American mind at its best is both liberal and conservative. So the, the, the high-minded conservative values dancing with the high-minded liberal values, that's America at its best. And we, we need to dig deep down to the realization that this is not, you know, the sort of psychic civil war that has, has formed here is very unhealthy. And we, we, that doesn't mean that we will not see the differences in our views, but we will honor the differences no one No one, no person, and no political stripe has a monopoly on truth. Love is the only monopoly on truth, and conservatism at its best stands for love. Liberalism and progressivism at its best stands for love. The the argument, the debate, which can be a positive, creative one, is how is love best held to? How is love best applied in this or that situation? Uh, The principles of the United States are, uh, at the core are, are deeply enlightened principles. The issue is how we apply them, and do we apply them? So, and they are neither conservative nor liberal. So, so I think that this this recognition that the deepest work is soul work, the deepest work is internal, the deepest work now is, dear God, I surrender the barriers to my own capacity for enlightenment. And compassion. And a lot of us need to ask God's forgiveness for our hatred of Hillary Clinton. And a lot of us need to ask God's forgiveness for our hatred, our personal hatred of Donald Trump. You, you are not standing for the best in America if you're holding on to personal hatred. You might have deep, deep, even hatred for what you might think someone represents. But you know what? Even in that case, if Donald Trump wins the presidency or if Hillary Clinton wins the presidency, we are a strong nation and we are good people. We are a decent people. We need to reclaim that, support that and whoever wins, and pray for whoever wins. Because they are going to be occupying The most powerful position in the world and the last thing they need is the psychic attack of so many of their own citizens just attacking them psychically day in and day out. That That is bad citizenship. That is bad citizenship. And I think that's going to be really important for us on November 9th. For all of us to do the inner work that we need to do to get to the point of saying, well, I might not agree with him or her and I will, I will work passionately in a constructive way where appropriate. Uh, during this person's presidency to stand for the alternative, the loyal opposition. But I will pray for that person and I will support them finding the angel of our, of their better nature. Because you know what? The angel of the better nature exists in Donald Trump and the angel of the better nature exists in Hillary Clinton. And if we, and what we support in people is important not only for our own spiritual well-being, but also because it, ma- it, it, it affects how they then show up. People under deep psychic attack all the time don't do their best. And you've you got enough be- psychic attack coming at the president from people outside this country. We don't need to, for the president to be receiving huge amounts of psychic attack from people inside the country as well.
1: So we have about two minutes left, and we know that these events that are taking place in our outer world, in addition to events in our lives, are taking us to places of sadness and anger and and other types of emotions that we are meant to look at, to feel, and to allow ourselves to rise up. You go on to say, the only way out of our suffering is to identify with the suffering of others. So... Part of this is feeling our suffering, and then part of this is transcending our suffering so that we can be of service to others in suffering. In the last two minutes, Miriam, please go into how you'd like to, to end the show. Well, what you just
2: said reminds me of a line in the book that having suffered gives you x-ray vision into the suffering of others. I think that having been through periods of deep sadness and depression myself, I can stand in the presence of others who suffer in a deeper way. And I think that for that reason alone, I can be grateful uh, for whatever I've been through. And I have seen how God has provided for me the ability to be there for others, I think, in a way more fully than I was before my own. Later today, I will be counseling a couple um, who lost their two-and-a-half-year-old baby. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a time when it would have been very difficult for me to bear witness to the agony of others um, the way I feel I can now. Um... Bearing witness to the agony of others, you know, when, when Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, can you not remain awake with me in the hour of my agony? We do not remain awake with others in the hour of their agony enough. We are desensitized to the agony of others too often. And one of the reasons is because we have become so desensitized to our own pain, which circles back to this issue of don't numb your pain. Because if you numb your pain, you are more likely to be numb to the suffering of others. And when we are numb to the suffering of others, life falls apart. And if you want to see examples of that, just look at the world around us. So I think this issue of opening our hearts to our own agony, that God Himself might might accompany us and lead us beyond uh, that crucifixion, or that time of that time in the desert, that time of slavery, whatever, however we name it, whatever door we use to enter into that mystery, is what will allow us to love each other more fully. And as we love each other more fully, this world will heal. Our own hearts will heal. Our own lives will heal. And our world will heal.
1: Marianne Williamson. You can reach her at Marianne.com. The book is Tears to Triumph, The Spiritual Journey from Suffering to Enlightenment. She says enlightenment isn't a learning, but an unlearning. This groundbreaking book explores the collective dimensions of our co- current epidemic of emotional suffering, suggesting that overconcentration of an individual's pain can obscure the larger social issues that breed depression among larger populations. Definitely get your copy of Tears to Triumph. And start to move into your own places that need healing as you support the world in having more compassion for others that are also suffering. Marianne Williamson, Marianne.com. I am Simran, in love, of love, with love, and as love. Be well.
0: Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality your heart to greater compassion and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simran next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the Gateway of Conscious Living here on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.